You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Phillies Backstage. I'm Tom Burgoyne, joined once again by Director of Fun and Games, John Brazier. Hello, John. Tom, how are you doing? Doing good, John. It's uh, a little cold out there, but it's been pretty mild, actually, hasn't it been? Hasn't been too bad. Hasn't been too bad, so it's kind of up and down, but uh, very excited about our guest uh, coming up. I always say this, but this is... uh, and I'm genuine every time, but this is one of my favorite guys. And you one do of the, say that every one time. One of the nicest really guys. Well, it. that's I'm when, when we pick these who we're going to interview. <laughs> obviously, I'm not going to pick a bad guy, and it's always you always gravitate towards the really good guys. And this is a really good guy, Chad Durbin. Chad, very excited to have you on today's podcast. Uh, John and Tom, I'm fired up to be on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Now, I, I, now, Tom, I don't know if you know this, but back when. Chad was one of the smartest guys uh, on the team back then. And that's no disrespect to anybody. So he's the, the nicest guy and he's the smartest very guy. Very smart. Because this, it, and here's the proof. Because I used to you go owe down, him money or as, something? As or? Chad can attest, uh, I love <laughs> Jeopardy. And I don't know if you love Jeopardy too, but I would come down and give the final Jeopardy question yeah. uh, when I watched Jeopardy, obviously, to Chad. And you know, seven times out of ten, he'd get the answer right. Which is a great, right? Remember, Chad? We'd go down there, and and I remember one time you did steer me to Brad Lidge. Uh, you didn't, you, you didn't get it right, and you steered me to Brad because I think it had something yeah, to I do with the Notre Dame religious history was the category. So I think <laughs> it was right in, right in Brad's uh, wheelhouse. That's his wheelhouse. Yes. <laughs> Big trivia, Bob. Yes, I, I didn't know that about you, Chad. That's that's beautiful. Did you you didn't try well, out for uh, the hosting uh, gig at Jeopardy? No, no, I figured that was uh that was gonna be outside of my wheelhouse. But um I enjoy I enjoyed uh I came out of high school. Um I didn't go to college uh at eighteen years old. So for me, I was around a bunch of guys that were coming out of college who you know, had gotten they'd done their, their stuff. but I wanted to catch up. I was always you know, nowadays if if I were eighteen I would be all over um, you know, some of the online tools that you can, you know, do, you do the online courses, all that stuff. But back then it was just, I tell my 14 year old this all the time, read a lot, yeah. just read everything you can get your hands on. And, and it's crazy how fast you accumulate knowledge and not all of it stays, but you just start to I have so many random things that I don't even think I know until somebody brings it up. And I actually have no idea how I know this, but here's your answer. Well, I'll give you one right here, Chad, that uh, I just saw this the other day. This is totally random. Did you know that Harriet Tubman, obviously the Underground Railroad, Harriet Tubman was alive when Thomas Jefferson died and was also alive when Ronald Reagan was born? How about that one? Can you you wrap your head around that one? one. (laughs) I know. Wrap your head around this. George Washington died before the first dinosaur fossils were found. So he lived his entire life not knowing that dinosaurs ever existed. Wow. Wow. How about that? Yep. A little you, nugget right there. Wrap your brain around that one. That, you that know, equally, e- equally stretched my mind on the Harriet Tubman stuff. That's pretty cool. 
it's great useless information, Chad. I mean, if you weren't on Jeopardy, you know, maybe you could have been filling in for Cliff on Cheers, you know, who would you'd always give like the oh, useless. He was so good. He was great. I love that guy. During the pandemic, I, I think I watched like the first five or six seasons of it until my wife was just like, uncle, um, that's enough, Sam. It's enough. Like we, we just got to pass on from that chat. Wait, so right, Chad, so. you hadn't, had you ever seen cheers before the pandemic? Like before you started binging it? Yes. Um, my mom, um, and I would earn the right to stay up and get to see prime time, get to see the eight o'clock shows. And as I turned like 12 and 13 years old, I could watch LA law and 30 something and stuff <laughs> like that. So, I, I earned my way to be able to watch a lot of those shows. And it was kind of what we did. I mean, she worked two jobs. She'd get home at like six or seven. Yeah. I was a latchkey kid. I'd watch WGN uh, prior to 89. 11, what was it? Uh, I think it was 8, 8, 89 was the, the first night game at Wrigley. So I grew up in Illinois. I could come home and watch the pregame and watch hmm. the game while, while I was doing my homework. And, uh, and then, you know, we'd, we'd wrap up our eating dinner and watching some shows. So that was kind of how we hung out. So I was one of those kids. Yeah, and, and I love that the categories for that final Jeopardy, right? For Cliff Clavin was, yeah. if I remember, postage stamps, yeah, yeah. beer, civil servants, <laughs> civil yeah, servants beers from around the world. Right. Oh my gosh, that was a great well, episode. He, his uh, Cliff Clavin's obviously his name in, in Cheers, but um, I, I don't remember what his name is in real life. But he has a whether it's a big role or a small role in every Pixar movie. Huh? He yeah, does, he does. The other voice. voices, right? Yeah. Yes, in every Pixar movie. So it would be a sad day when he's no longer. Yeah, Mr. Potato Head, I think he is. And uh, is he Mr. Yeah. Potato Head? Yeah, yeah. you're right. <laughs> hey, also, Chad, I remember that you and uh, your buddy uh, Clay Condry would do the, if I remember correctly, the New York Times crossword puzzle almost on a daily basis. Well, we would do the USA Today one. And then on, on Sundays, we would entertain ourselves by failing miserably um, at trying to do the New York Times Sunday. And we would hand it off to Phil Sheridan, and and he would absolutely kill it. Really? Um, yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah. Head club boss guy. So, Phil would. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Another Notre Dame guy. Another Notre Dame guy. Yep. Yeah. I hate and, to get him. He would, he would, he would make a joke too. of it. He would, he would take it. He would come back like 10 minutes later, and it was wiped out. He just he, He's super intelligent. Now, you know, Tom, Sunday is, you know, it gets easier Monday but then culminates on Sunday, which is brutal. And Sunday oh, is yeah. absolutely brutal. Oh, I'm horrible at it. I try and right. yeah, I'm, I'm not good. You know, uh, it's almost like it's not even English. Chad and or uh, Bre- um, John and I today were talking about that bullpen in 2008, and he he mentioned Clay Condry. He's like, oh, Clay Condry. That's a guy that you know maybe people don't think of when they think of that bullpen. But uh, you know, we were talking about what a group and how you kind of had every aspect you know in terms of personality uh the way they played you know what you threw how you threw yeah yeah i mean um a great group huh chad they're a fantastic group uh clay was you know i guess the word yeoman has been used for me as well uh along the way just deck hand do your work um don't complain show up you know tighten the cleats up you might pitch every day clay was just that guy that that eight innings whether they were important sixth seventh eighth inning inning uh, four run lead, uh, two runs down, ninth inning, um, or a starter went down in the third, and we're going to need you to eat four. Um, he would go in and, and do it, and um, and did it uh, maybe because of his age, maybe because of his personality. Just did it with a uh, an energy that is hard to find, especially in young players or older guys that 
feel like they deserve more. He just, uh, he grabbed onto that role and, uh, and it was very much appreciated. I think when you're appreciated by a subgroup, um, and the bullpen is definitely that, um, when you're appreciated by your peers to that level, it, it, it energizes you, makes you want to go do that even better. So, um, Clay, you know, Texas guy, College Station's where they live now. He is, uh, inevitably the same guy doing whatever he's doing every day now. But um, he was fantastic, great personality down in the bullpen, um, always uh, took the guys that were making a lot of money and, you know, cut them down a notch, uh, kiddingly, and, and then asked them if he could go eat dinner with them if they pay later on. <laughs> um, just a fantastic, just a fantastic guy. He was, um, in my head, during, you know, this conversation, I may mess up 08, 9, and 10, because they, they, in my head, they mesh together a little bit. Um, I know 08 is the year that we won it, and 09 is the year we lost it. Um, to the Yankees, but um, getting to know Clay really helped me out as a as a reliever. I came over as a starter, yep. and and Adam Eaton and I were um, kind of battling for the fifth role. Um, and uh, and I've told people this for years; they don't believe me. But when you're competing with someone, embracing that in in a positive framework going and grabbing Adam in spring training and saying, Hey, I want to be your throwing partner. Let's, let's make each other better while we're battling for this thing. And, um, and, and I think it really helped from a team camaraderie standpoint, just little things like that, that maybe maturity helped me out with, but Clay was that guy in the bullpen. I came down to the bullpen and I'm sure he's looking, he's like, well, I wonder if he's going to be, you know, the long guy or if he's going to be a possible sixth, seventh inning guy. I'd love, you know, he, he inevitably would want to be that. He would want to be that role and he'd been around for a couple of years with the Phillies. So he really helped me kind of uh, understand what it meant to be a reliever. So is that hard going in with the mentality that you were a starting pitcher for all those years, you know, for Kansas City, um, you know, the Indians, Diamondbacks, Tigers, and then all of a sudden now, now you're in the bullpen. Was that, is that, is that more, harder from a physical point of view or more from a mental point of view? So from the physical standpoint, I was as good as I, I had ever been coming out of Detroit, uh, I pitched well there. And in the starting role, Kenny Rogers had a blood clot and, and was out for the first half of the season. And I went in there, pretty good offense, a team that just came out of the World Series. So I went in and, and I just thought, man, man I can, I, if they're going to score runs, I can keep a team, you know, in a decent clip, three, four runs, six innings, I can do this. Um, and so when I came over, I was still in that, that thought process. Man, the National League, um, I know I can compete here, uh, especially after just doing it in the AL. And none of these hitters know me because the interleague wasn't as, as um, you know, I guess prevalent as it is uh, now. You don't play as many of those teams. So a lot of the hitters were unfamiliar with me. And the Phillies were scoring, oh, they were scoring runs at a pretty high clip. So for me, I thought it was the perfect scenario. You know, you go in. You're the fifth, you're fifth guy on a team that's probably going deep into the playoffs in 08. And I just thought it was a really attractive scenario. And then, so, you know, so mentally to be told you're going to go down to the bullpen, we're going to give Adam that shot. Um, it, it, it took me having guys like Clay and Brad and JC Romero and the rest of, of the guys down there to kind of explain the opportunity that is being presented. I mean, you've never been a, a reliever consistently. This could be something you could do for five, six, seven years. 
So it took guys giving some uh, perspective there too. And what a great group of guys as far as chemistry. I mean, I, I would think that chemistry is so important in a bullpen and not just the guys you mentioned, but you got Mick Billmeyer. So you've got a combination of guys of well, veterans. You've got guys that are, you know, younger, you've got some, you know, class clowns like Ryan Madsen and, you know, and Bill Meyer himself, who's the bullpen coach, right? I mean, how much is, is that, you know, camaraderie, that uh, chemistry important to the bullpen? Well, what it, what it does, that, that anchor of, you know, comic relief, it, it really takes away from the highs and the lows that happen on a daily basis in baseball. I mean, in every win, somebody gave up runs more than likely, um, you know, unless there's a shutout or a one-run game, uh, low-scoring game. So, you know, you don't want to dance and celebrate on somebody's grave, um, especially in the big leagues when there's, you know, pretty good living tethered to it. So Mick did a really good job. Mick never missed a pitch. That's something that everybody that, that does know Mick, um, in baseball, they know it. But outside of baseball, they're like, you know, he's telling jokes. He's not really paying attention. Truth is, he was locked in on every pitch in the 14 to 15 seconds between every pitch. He was able to crack a joke or tell, you know, tell the same joke again in a different light with a new guy and we get to see how that guy reacts to it. Um, he just kept everything uh, very even keeled down there. And, and it really, for, for me, it helped me uh, gravitate to being a reliever. I wanted to be one. I thought it was, um, you know, more attractive than, than being a starter and looking down at the pen and saying, man, I don't want to be down there, which is the life of a starter. You don't want to be sent out um, to pasture down in the in the bullpen. And that helped me kind of reframe that. And, and I really appreciate that about a guy like Mick is, is he embraced He's like, look, you can really help us out. We have issues in, in, in the past couple of years. We've had issues in the sixth and seventh inning. We've had the eighth and ninth covered. But look, this is an opportunity. We need to win. And, um, you know, Charlie Manuel helped out with that. I think in May, um, Jimmy Williams and Charlie were letting me hit with the starters because I was going to be a, a kind of a, a guy that would eat three or four innings at a time. And so they were letting me hit. And Jimmy um, told me, hey, you get a chance to start. You know, you can get a, you can get hits. You can help your team win. You swing the bat okay. I mean, of course, you know, a pitcher does like to – he likes to hear from someone else that he's, you know, a potentially good athlete and he can hit a little bit. Um, Charlie, uh, same, that same day that Jimmy said it, Jimmy walked off to do something else, probably, um, you know, front toss with some of the hitters or whatever. But Charlie looked at me and he said, uh, we're, we're going to keep you down in the bullpen. And, and it hit me hard. I, and I, he's got such a good feel for the players. He said, if we can lock down that seventh inning, you know, up to down to, we're going to score runs late. We always score runs late. If you can be a guy I can depend on to face three, four, five guys in that stretch, we can we can win. And winning is way more important than your numbers. If you win here, you're going to have a job for a while. And I remember just thinking about Charlie's feel for the situation. It was off the chart because that was exactly what I was thinking is, I'm not going to start. Well, I want out of here. You know, I didn't come here to relieve. Um, but he, he, he put it in a light that made sense and he was right. You know, go out and go out and be successful. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And we'll all get paid, probably too much. <laughs> and he wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong at all. Uh, well, and as a unit, uh, would you guys, how about off the field, uh, Chad? Would you guys uh, hang out, uh, you know, when you're on the road? Uh, did, did you kind of get tight, you know, when you were off the field as well? Definitely. It's, uh, you know, usually two, three guys, maybe four at a time would end up, you know, going to eat dinner after a game or going to eat lunch before heading to the field. Um, different times of the year, kind of throw different things at, at at uh, different groups of, of players. And, you know, obviously once uh, September rolls around, late August, fantasy football, um, <laughs> it wasn't DraftKings and FanDuel like there is now. You, you you couldn't play every day. You had to, you know, kind of wrap an entire 16-week season into a fantasy <laughs> draft and you'd do it with your guys. And so you had you had the guys that played it all kind of uh, getting together. And it, it's a little escape from y- your reality, you know. We got, we got a big series with the Mets, but – I got the number two pick and I'm trying to negotiate with who's got the number one. Um, you know, so it, that, that part of it was great. Brad was always into that. It was always fun for me to pick Gacy's brain, um, you know, as a left-handed uh, reliever and a guy who's throwing the seventh or eighth inning and Scott Ayer and those guys. Um, so, you know, if we went out to dinner or something, um, Gacy's going to be passionate about whatever he's talking about. He would, he ended up in a, a 40 minute diatribe and he would tell us all the things that he was, he was thinking about it and what he did when he was younger, and he and, and he was so energetic about that stuff. It was fun to listen to him, and um, yeah, we had we had definitely we were tight. We um, I almost went in in '09. We had the pen that was filmed, um, and that was That's it right. was hard right. for us. Yeah, it, I forgot that was the we documentary. The first, yeah, yeah, I remember yeah, the, pen, the, the MLB, MLB Network. Network. Yeah, sure. And but it was weird uh, to know that cameras and mics were around you all at all times. It suppressed our personality as a whole. Yeah, because I'd imagine Mick, that. Yeah, Mick couldn't tell his jokes because you're not safe for work. And <laughs> exactly. You, you, a lot of us, it was just like a, you know, we'll have to. Hey, I'm Mike today. <laughs> Let's be careful yeah. uh, of what we say. And and Danny Fields was the head producer. Danny. He had told us, "Look, I'm not. You know, I'm not going to burn you. You know, like, if you want to edit it, we'll let you look at it. But all of us have had journalists." And, and beat writers tell us that, and then we look at it and we're right. like, oh, no. You know, got, and, and you it, can't it help it. Because, it's such a contrived yeah. situation, right? Like yeah. like you're trying to act natural, but you know that cameras are picking you up, the microphones are picking you up, yeah. and it's hard. You're the reality show. And, and that was at the very beginning of 2009. So was that like the first two months, and then that was it, Chad? It, yeah. yeah. It was spring training through the All-Star break. Oh, through the All-Star break even. So it, through the it All-Star went into break, July. Which, okay. So when we were we were we were brought together in spring, and Dave Montgomery, God rest his soul, probably best human being to ever walked the planet. Yeah. Um, he grabbed us and said, "We think this is really important for baseball, for growing the game, and I want you all to consider it. You don't have to do it, but I want you to consider it through the eyes of the audience." And you could see him saying that. You could see him kind of painting that picture. And then Ruben, 
came in right behind him and said, you're going to do this. Ah. And it's going to suck. Good cop, bad change, cop. But... Yeah, exactly. That's fun. <laughs> so, and, and, and he was right, though. I mean, I think it was um, cutting edge. The network is important to baseball as it is now. Uh, looking back at it now that it's been 13 years or whatever. Um, so for me, I, I was one of the guys they asked, you know, am I, am I comfortable with handling some of it? And, and I was, I was, you know, let's, let's leave some of these other guys out of it that aren't comfortable. Um, I'll handle. So they followed us in spring and then they, uh, at the end of spring and they followed us, uh, all the way through the break. And look, we had a blast, um, doing it. Um, I'm glad we did it to archive something that acute and that different yeah. and, and something that, that's not really, um, on everybody's front burner. So if it's not front of mind awareness and we bring that uh, awareness to people, it was, it made it a lot of fun. Uh, but we were very happy and very relieved as relievers, very relieved to, to know that the mics are gone, to know that we weren't going to have to do interviews about uh, a Jack Tashner going down. Or um, it just it, it, it was nice not to have to answer questions outside of standing in front of your locker uh, in a post game. Now, your closer was Brad Lidge. We had Brad Lidge uh, a couple months ago. Um, he was talking about how he, he used to go eat, uh, I guess he, he would take you guys all to go uh, eat sushi, or you guys would all eat sushi, and he was a spread killer, right? Because I guess he was that, a, was his, that was his fantasy football name, yeah, spread yeah, killer. Yeah, he was a big eater. Uh, what was that like? <laughs> now, Brad at one point was a starter as well, way back in early in his career. What was it like to witness what the magical year he had in 2008 from, a, from your perspective, sitting, you know, watching it firsthand in the bullpen? Well, he had come off of a couple of years in Houston where lack confidence was a little bit low. Um, you know, was, was not getting the, the same opportunities that he'd always had. So I think um, coming to a Philadelphia where I think in Houston and in some of the other, not, not that Houston's a small market at all, but it's certainly not the, the pressure cooker that Philadelphia is. Um, and Jim Tomey had said that too in Cleveland you have a bad day, they're still telling you, Hey, we, we still love you. And you strike out in your first at bat uh, on a Monday. Um, Philly's going to let you know, you stink, you know, so you couldn't take a moment off. And I think for Brad coming over and being inside of this pressure cooker in Philadelphia was the best thing that could have happened to him. And to watch, cause his stuff wasn't, he was 99, a hundred early in his career with a 92-mile-an-hour breaking ball. That was not who he was as a closer in Philadelphia. But what he was was at the perfect point in his career where the – if you're looking at a graph where the two lines cross, um, where you're old enough to see it for what it is and understand who you are, and, and, but, but you're, you're, not, you're not getting better as far as stuff is concerned, um, all the metrics that everybody would push out today but you're able to execute game plans at a very high proficient level. And that's who he was that year. He was able to go in with a game plan and execute and not, um, not, not veer off without um, good reason. And uh, he, he, he had times during the year where he, you know, his, his confidence wavered and stuff like that. But um, in those days that were bad, it was either not a save opportunity or he got away with a line drive at somebody. And, you know, I think in in championship seasons or perfect seasons as a reliever like that, it's a hard, it's a big combination of you being really good and also having some luck. Yeah. And and he would I'm sure he would I know I've felt like that before 
when you're in your good run, you know, every ground ball is a double play and every line drive caught. Um, and when you're not going well, everything finds a hole and drops in. And, um, and he was just in a, uh, you know, just a phenomenal Disney uh, movie version of himself for an entire season, which was just bonkers. So to watch him, uh, you know, routine based, he, you know, the sushi was getting eaten that year because the sushi was working. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well speaking of you superstition, know? like, does that as he's getting deeper into that streak, right? The, the, uh, was that was there pressure on you guys, like maybe not to jinx it in the bullpen, like <laughs> pregame or or you know what I mean? Did, did that ever enter your head? In the, pregame and postgame didn't really enter as much as holding the rope in front of them. Um, if, if there's a three run lead, it's sure as hell easier to get a save in a three-run game than it is in a one-run game. Right. So you, as it kept going on, when we get to September and, and, and inevitably in the playoffs, holding that line, there was it wasn't just about doing it for the city and doing it for your team and doing all that, but you also had a guy who you're like, man, if, if, if I can just keep this game at three, then he's, got, he's coming in right now and, and he's kind of got some wiggle room. Um, and, and you know when a guy's not – as hot as he was at certain times. So when he wasn't going well, I mean, we, we had dialogue like that at times, like, Hey, you know, keep it at two or three. <laughs> He's going to give up some hard hit balls today. And, um, and then when he was going well, it didn't matter. I mean, he was going to go in there and punch out two and give up a broken bat um, out. So yeah, the, the superstitions were, um, they're fun to grab onto. Um, but I, he's also so highly intelligent that for him, He's not a slave to it to the point where he's going to be crippled, and uh, and I really like that about about Brad. Is that he uh, he was cheering on his teammates too. I will say this: biggest cheerleader uh, of other guys in the pen um, that I've ever been around. He had something that he said in in April that year in 2008. It was me trying to process what it means to be a reliever, and I just every single time the phone rang and they called my name. I mean, fight or flight kicked in, and I, I, I needed to take a dump and throw up. And I just, I was like, is this normal? This can't be normal. I'm just not built for this. And, and I, I finally, you know, just got the gumption to say, hey, is this normal? Is this, is this the way y'all feel? And, this, and he said, 100%. Every time they call my name and I'm about to run out on the field, they open the gate, and I'm thinking, if I just took a left and ran out of the gate. <laughs> To, to, and, and to my car and just drove home, I, I would be much better off in this moment. And that was how I felt. And then Rudy Sienas, who was down there, and you had Flash, you had guys like that that were part of that um, peripheral for the bullpen, you know, obviously with tons of, of innings under their under the belt. They said the same thing. Like, yeah, I've never had an outing in my life where I didn't feel like that. And it made me realize, okay, that is normal. And it helped us all kind of grab onto that. Like, yeah. You know, this, this is not something that, you know, our DNA was made to go do, but we're going to do it anyway because we love doing it. And, and it really helped paint a picture to me of what being a reliever really was and what the feeling was. Those teams, Chad, I mean, John and I were talking before, win a World Series, you know, you got to have the bullpen, you know, you got to have offense, defense. But, you know, you're also talking, it's, it's leader and experience, but it's also leadership. 
right? I mean, can you talk yep. a little bit about? I mean, Brad Lidge is one of those guys, just character guys too. And then huge, huge. Midway through the season, you know, uh, Matt Stairs and Jenkins are added to the club, veteran guys, but also good leaders. And then you know the core guys, you know, uh, between Jason, you know, Jimmy, uh, and Ryan. Yeah, those guys. So, uh, what what was it like? I mean, that clubhouse, you know, when you were in the middle of of, of the hunt in two thousand eight, and um, and and could you sense that too? Like, hey, we have the it factor. Well, the the clubhouse from an early on. I remember going up in December to sign, and it was me and, and Jeff Jenkins. He was obviously the much bigger name, but when I was in the office um, and and just kind of visiting, uh, Jimmy came through, and and he he called me old, and I'm I'm same age as him I'm a little bit older than him but I remember like kind of giggling about it and 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 I kept thinking about like I looked at the roster and you're trying to figure out who's who and I'm looking at birthdays and the majority of the team was all in the same stage of their career the majority um in in maybe their fourth fifth sixth year plan they they'd gone through arbitration a year or two they weren't free agents yet but they were all in that 27, 28 to like 33 year old range. And so you didn't, you had a couple with Cole Hamels and some other guys that were young. You had Jamie Moyer, who obviously pulled the age uh, up a good bit, but the majority of the team was in a, in the same, you know, part of their career where they were all pushing in the same direction. Um, They weren't worried about surviving anymore, which is a very real part of being a young player in the league is you don't care whether or not, um, you, you know, uh, you don't care about a lot of stuff. You just want to stay there. And then you get a little bit older and you, you, you want to get paid a little bit. And then you want to win. And I think everybody was in that we want to win part of their career. And that kind of created, you know, everybody pushing or pulling in the same direction at the same time. So that was the chemistry. Having lost in the playoffs the year before in 07, 08, the goal was win it all. Don't care how we get in. Don't let us in. We will win. And that was kind of the, the, the feeling. So, And I had never really seen a lot of the guys play. So I had never seen Ryan Howard swing a bat um, consistently. I'd never seen Chase Utley go through his normal routine and play at such a high level. I've never seen Jimmy uh, play consistently. We'd come in and played against the team, but I'd never seen them go about their business on a regular basis. So um, them, Pedro Feliz, Chooch, uh, Victorino, uh, Burrell, and how, how great a teammate Pat Burrell is, and how big a piece of the of I guess the construction of uh, of of that chemistry you're talking about. He was a big piece of that, um, and in that, uh, Jason Worth kind of taking over for Jenkins and them, and Jenkins accepting a platoon type role uh, versus fighting it and causing some some issue. It was just you know you had the right people at the right time and some some of them having career years at the right time and i think some of that was a product of what you're talking about which is the chemistry so there's a reason teams win uh jim leland who was my manager in six and seven 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, he said something in those seven there, they were asking him about, you know, the chemistry and, and he's like, Oh, if you show me a team that's winning, I'll show you chemistry. And there is some truth to that, but he's being tongue in cheek because it takes winning to have a chance to have that type of chemistry. But it also, you, the chemistry has to be there. The components have to be there. And that is what, uh, was put together so well by the front office for that roster. Well, then you had the guiding hand. You mentioned Jim Leland. Jim Leland and Charlie Manuel were basically the – it looked like it was down to those two to see who was going to take over the Phillies manager job, Uh, and then Charlie got it. So, you know, similar to, you know, you you need the chemistry and success, but you need that manager that that fits the team just like the team fits the manager. And it seems that Charlie was that perfect – uh, manager to basically guide a group of, as you said, guys that were kind of all in their prime, uh, with some exceptions. You know, talk about Charlie Manuel. So, Charlie, to me, players guy, players manager, could connect with you on on your personal level. Um, very, you know, he's got the southern accent and and a little bit of a stutter, and he's a, he's a really smart guy. You can talk about almost anything. And he's got some level of expertise, whether it's, you know, stock market or businesses or charities or baseball. He, he's definitely, you know, very intelligent guy. But the emotional IQ that it takes to be a manager and knowing which guys you don't have to say anything to for six weeks and which guys you need to stand up, you know, didn't run through first, you're going to sit. Didn't do this, you know, this. I mean, he did such a good job of managing that. Um, and, and he was one of those, uh, you know, the managers that managed the media really well in Philadelphia, which we all know is a very difficult place um, to be put uh, under the microscope. And he had, a, he had a strategy to handling it, and he could play the bumpkin card um, if he wanted to, and he did. And, and he'd go in and, and say his piece and then, and then stretch out. So I really appreciated the way that he – Number one, handled the clubhouse. Number two, handled his coaching staff. Um, very, very much um, delegated the expertise to the guys that were experts in, in what they were doing. I mean, he, he knew, you know, whether it was Lopes, whether it was, <clears throat> whether it was um, you know, pitching, catching, uh, whatever the heck it was, he delegated. Hitting, obviously, he's going to have a big uh, piece in that, and, and whether it's Milt working with him or whatever – he just really did a good job of, of allowing people to be who they are, um, giving guidelines more than uh, you know, mandating anything. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. And uh, I have to ask you, uh, Chad, you're, you're uh, born in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. You still live down that way. And I have to ask you, it's been 13 years since the Phillies won the World Series. How often – when you're when you're not here in Philadelphia, you're down there. How often does does it come up? Do you, do you, would anybody see you on the street and say something? Do you get a call. Uh, how, how often does you know that World Series win come up? 
I think it comes up um, after someone gets to know me now. I'm just a, a dad. Um, I coach some youth baseball. Um, I work with some, some college, high school, college, and pro guys um, and big league guys on the pitching side. But a lot of times, and I actually like this, in Baton Rouge, the university, LSU, is the driver. If you went there and you weren't even any good, you're popular. Um, so I get to fly under the radar here pretty I, – I really enjoy it. I would rather yeah. someone value me for just being the guy on the other side of a table or the other side of a field and then figure out later on, maybe I should have listened closer yeah. to that guy. Which I'm sorry, that, that's pretty cool. Yeah, you're in a meeting with Chad Durbin. You had no idea. Oh, that guy's a World Series winner. Like, <laughs> I, yeah, that's, that's cool, Chad. I like it. I like it. But anytime I come to Philadelphia – Right. They don't. They don't have short memories. Yeah. Um, fans. Fans will catch you at a Chili's or at a Chick-fil-A, <laughs> and you know immediately like, oh my god, it's Chad Durbin. That's you know, awesome. Phillies ten, two thousand eight. They go, and and immediately they, you know, it, it's special. Um, anybody, I was advised strongly not to go play in Philly. Um, and I have this counterculture part of me. The more I was told that, the more I wanted to go play. Hmm. And I wasn't just going to do it on a whim. I wanted to go look at rosters and, and think about what, you know, I wanted to win, to be perfectly honest. But, you know, I won't name names, but guys that played there were pretty you know, opinionated on what it's like to play there. Now, obviously, they played there at times when they weren't winning. Um, when you're winning there, there's no better place on the planet, in my opinion, to go play. Yeah. And so I have this terribly great version of Philadelphia um, and, and not in a bad way whatsoever. I love every bit of it. I like, I like people barking at me when I wasn't good because when I'm barking way louder than they are. Hmm. Um, and, and I'll go back to the LSU thing. I, I boo, I boo my TV when an 18 and 19 year old throws a pick six, you know, so I relate at a very high level Um to being frustrated with somebody's performance that I can't control. Um, so, so I understand the Philly fans and I appreciate, um, you know, how passionate the fan base is for everything, every sport, everything they do. Um, it's just a really special place to, uh, to win a championship. I, I, I can imagine it's special other places, but I didn't get the chance to do that. So my, uh, my example of it, my sample of it, is in Philly, and it's fantastic. Nice. All right, so a couple quick questions for you. You mentioned LSU football. Are you happy with the Brian Kelly uh, coaching uh, carousel or the coaching hire? I, I absolutely love it. Um, the last two guys in here, Les Miles, uh, what was not great with the media, um, and Coach O, who is uh, Orgeron, a uh, great football guy, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, not a great interview, not a great, um, you know, not, not, not the intelligent interview that, that kind of inspires an entire city. And um, I think Brian Kelly is. Uh, he also chose to come here from Notre Dame. When Notre Dame is 11-1, and one, they're, they're on the edge of going to the playoffs every year. And he was able to see the forest through the trees knowing that if I want to win – a national title, uh, I'm going to sign up to go to the SEC, and not just the SEC, but the SEC West, where I have to go against Nick Saban in Alabama, Lane Kiffin in the Lane Train in Ole Miss, 
Mike Leach at Mississippi State and, and you know, uh, Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M and then just Kirby battle Smart. some of the best. Yep. Yeah, Kirby Smart at Georgia. Like you really think about who you have to beat to win a national title or win the, win the SEC and get an opportunity to do so. I think for a, a, a guy who is 60 years old, it's a, it, it just, for me, it meant I want to be here. I want to prove myself. And it wasn't, and he was making the same amount of money really, or could have matched it at Notre Dame. So I like the idea that a guy wanted to come here and prove himself at 60 years old. And, and side note, Nick Saban was 57 when he came here. Hmm. Now, so being from, not like 60s old. So being from Baton Rouge, did you, did someone said he, he tried to affect a, a Louisiana accent? Was, did you hear that? Did you hear the press conference? No, he was, he, <laughs> he, he got caught in between two words, which is probably really close to what everybody else thinks the Southern accent is. <laughs> right, right. Um, but he got caught in between two words. Matt Moscona uh, is a friend of mine, the guy that was interviewing him, and he had to laugh because everybody made a big deal out right. of it, and it was absolutely not the case. He got caught in between saying Matt and man. Right, right. And it, right. And it came out as, as some derivative of the two. <laughs> right, right. Uh, all right, a couple others. One thing I remember distinctly working with you way back when is that you were an entrepreneur back then. You had, if I remember correctly, it was called Showcase U. Now, this yeah. is back in 2007, right, 2006? But talk about the, the, the company yeah. you developed back then. So Showcase U was, um, we called it an online portal back then. Um, it was uh, a website, which would now be a, an application on your iPhone. Um, but it was a website for student athletes and coaches to be connected online so that you could so so a coach could aggregate and search for their options a whole lot more efficiently um and the athletes would have a better chance to get in front of the universities whether it be a d1 d2 d3 nai bible school or a junior college they'd have a better chance to throw a wider net out and showcase their abilities um you know perfect game which is a, a you know baseball softball entity now max preps um, there's a bunch of them out there. We were ahead of them. We were yeah. too early, to be yeah. honest. Um, and, and if the iPhone had uh, come out a little bit sooner, um, I, I really do believe that we would still be uh, thriving. Hmm. So we were really proud of, uh, of, of what we wanted to do. Um, and we just, you know, about the worst time on, on, in the history of, uh, of being an entrepreneur to try to raise money was 2008 and 2009. Yeah, right, so, right. Um, it, it kind of went to bed, but uh, what it did for me and, and and Jake Chapman was my partner in it is we we drank from the fire hose that is entrepreneurship, and and have we've all done well in that in that realm since then. So um, definitely proud of it. I wish uh, uh, I think other people took the idea um, and ran with it a little bit later on. Um, so it exists now, just not as showcase you. All right, then lastly, you have, I know you have three kids. Uh, all of the first names starts with a C. You got Cade, Caven, and, and Carla. Now, Cade is 5'11", right? Freshman, Tom. Ooh. And he's thrown yep. low 80s already, and he's got the pedigree, obviously, nice. his dad, Major League Baseball player. What, is, uh, what, do, you, what do you see in Cade's uh, future? Um, well, he's, he's 130 pounds, so he's a newborn giraffe. <laughs> and, uh, he, I see all of his flaws. That's, I think that's what, uh, all of us see as dads when we're looking at our kids sometimes is we can't step back and see, you know, where they've come. And, and I get that when friends of mine that played, they'll see 
him after not seeing him for a year or six months. And, and they see all the JC came through and um, they live um, down I 10 oh. in a mobile area. They came through and he's like, you know, last time I saw him was the reunion. Um, and it's been a little while since then. So uh, he's grown. Um, yeah. Kay's a really, <clears throat> he's an intelligent kid. I'm proud of the human being he is, but um, yeah, Kate is, uh, he's got a chance. He, he throws differently than I did. He is a really smooth, easy mechanic. And I was more of a max effort guy. Maybe not so much by the time I was 30 years old and in Philly, but when I was young and his age, every throw I made, I was trying to throw it as hard as I could. And he's just not built like that. He's, he's, you know, no panic button, um, handles adversity really well. And, um, he's going to be fun to watch. I'm, I'm curious to see how this plays out. Um, Kevin, my, uh, my nine year old, he's, uh, he's built a lot more like me when I was younger. Um, he's got, he's, he's just broad shouldered and strong. And, um, I don't, he, he's got a, he's got a really high, um, emotional IQ for people. He sees people that are experiencing emotions and relates to it with empathy really well. Um, something advanced that I don't even know if I have that now. Um, my wife appreciates it. And then my little girl, Karis, who's eight, um, she was born, uh, uh, 25 days after, um, I was let go by the Phillies in May of 2013. Um, Dave and, uh, and Ruben both kind of met me afterwards and said, go home, see your daughter, be born, spend some time. And if you want to come back, reach out, we'll have a spot for you in AAA. You can figure it out, but go experience what most baseball dads don't get to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's great. But she's a good yard marker for me. Yeah. Well, and with Cade, I have to ask you, too, because I know you've gotten involved uh, heavily with baseball instruction with kids and development uh, when you stop playing, Chad. Uh, but also uh, maybe you were involved in a company that did develop a baseball that uh, tracks uh, velocity and spin. It's got a chip in the baseball. I mean, it, are you still involved with that? And is that something that Cade uh, – has Cade tried, you know, that product, that ball? So um, two things. First thing is pitch logic is uh, is the baseball. Um, both uh, Diamond Kinetics and, and Pitch Logic have baseballs that um, will give the same metrics that TrackMan or Statcast or um, you know some of these other Rapsodo or some of the popular 3D radar technology. Um, the baseball um, gives immediate feedback from the time it moves. Uh, so when it leaves a fingertip it reads the velocity and the spin rate, you know, from the time it's released to the time it stops. So it actually, if you're going to, if you're trying to get a job and you're throwing 95, um, you know, it's going to give you 95.7 versus uh, a rap soda that's going to take three pictures after release. And it's going to, you know, give the median and, and read the, the data from there. So uh, pitch logic, it's really cool technology. Um, I don't, I'm curious to see how they advance. Uh, I, I play a small role. But technology is, is advancing, you know, exponentially every day. So the chip in the ball might not be as efficient or as, as easily utilized um, in the next, you know, year or two. So they'll have to make some adjustments in advance. Cade, uh, part two of that, um, he does a little bit of the Rapsodo stuff and the Pitch Logic stuff, but I try to keep him away from it. Mm. Um, you can get wrapped around the axle there and start to, at a young age, you can start to hunt um metrics and goal milestone type type deals that that can deter throwing strikes they can deter feeling the development rather than being given a metric 
Um, I feel like analytics are um, they're the they're the street light or the lamppost. They're meant to illuminate, not to be leaned up against. And um, that to me is very important, not just for my 14 year old son, but also for a 25, 30, 35 year old man who is trying to uh, figure out the analytics. Um, it should point things out. It shouldn't be the only thing. You have to feel what you're what you're doing. Feeling is all you're going to have when you're out there on the mound. Um, so if you can't feel it, it really doesn't matter what your metrics are. So there's my little, uh, I like it. No, I think you're exactly right. And you know, uh, it's almost like when we were young, we didn't have analytics, but we're playing little league baseball. It's like, Hey, don't worry about throwing sliders and you know, you're going to ruin your arm or you're thinking to just, you know, learn how to pitch, (laughs) learn how to throw the ball. And, uh, thankfully there weren't analytics back then, but I think it's a good call, Chad. Uh, John over here, I know he warned you there's going to be a quiz. There was going to be a quiz after this podcast. Are you ready for it, Chad? Are you ready for the Chad Durbin quiz? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, Chad, as I mentioned, I'm going to go to my game show voice. Uh, you have eight questions, multiple choice. All of them are about you. So you have an inside track of doing very well. And we usually say, using metrics, we say six out of eight. Metrics. Right? <laughs> six out you of have, eight. You have a 75%. You have, if you get 75%. Ooh, look, uh, right? Wow, look, look at that. Put huh? percentages together. Thank you very much. That's my University of Virginia education there. Uh, if you get six <laughs> out of eight, at least six out of eight, uh, since you do have a fourth grader who's probably a huge fanatic fan, right? I think you'll be getting yeah. something uh, from the fanatic for your daughter. So, all right. That's your, uh, nice. that's your carrot stick. So the first question is, you went to Woodlawn High School in the uh, East Baton Rouge Parish, right, in Louisiana. Which yeah. of these celebrities did not go to Woodlawn High School? Um, so I'm going to mention four people, and you're going to tell me which one did not go to Woodlawn High School. Okay? All right. A is Brett, uh, Brett Blackledge, who's a 2007 Pulitzer Prize winner. B is Darnell Lazar, who's a basketball player at LSU and also played in the NBA uh, D-League. Jaleel White, who played Urkel on Family Matters. Or Daniel Scott Arruda, who was a four-time U.S. indoor volleyball champion. So was it... Brett Blackledge. Uh, Jaleel White. <laughs> Jaleel White. <laughs> Urkel did not go to your high school. Like I didn't I didn't recognize any of those other three guys. You can hardly pronounce them. And then Urkel. Well, it's like, well, yeah, it's Urkel. Daniel Scott went to like five Olympic games ah. in volleyball. Um, Daniel or uh, Darnell was there. Darnell was there, was a, uh, a very good basketball player. Um my, my my basketball coach coached him so and then Blackledge I had heard there was a Pulitzer Prize winner um, and I thought I remembered the name being uh, being that so that's yeah. pretty, that's Urkel good. didn't that's Urkel did not come in to no. play all right and see? he didn't win a Pulitzer or no a, he did yeah. not no, okay. and nor a volleyball champion okay all right so <laughs> you're one for one question number two which of these celebrities is not from Louisiana right which of these celebrities is not from Louisiana okay. A is Jerry Lee Lewis, B is Andre the Giant, C is Louis Armstrong, and D is Reese Witherspoon. 
Andre the Giant. <laughs> Andre the Giant <laughs> is not. I think he's from Romania yeah. or somewhere. Right. Not even from this country. All right. Two for two. All right. Number three. Tom Burgoyne's going to have an inside track on this somehow. Tom, you're going you're to have an inside track All on right. this. In 1996, your first professional team was the Gulf Coast League Royals, right? If you remember yeah. that, 1996. So go back in time. And which of these guys was not a teammate? Was not a teammate. Okay, so this is your first year in yep. baseball. Uh, a is Orber Marino. B is Corey Thurman. C is Juan LeBron. And D is Malcolm John Rebenack. D. Which one? D. 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 You're, yeah. you're correct. Do you know who Malcolm John Rebenack is? I actually don't know. Dr. John. Dr. John, who's a, uh, who passed away a year ago, yeah. I think, but he was a uh, famous uh, piano player. Piano player. Session guy. Yeah. Yeah, must have been the wrong place, right? Yep. All right. Yeah. You are three for three. All right. Hey, number four. This is, we're going to get now more into baseball. You made your Major League Baseball debut for the Royals on September 26, 1999, versus the Tigers, uh, if I'm correct. Which starting yep. pitcher did you relieve? In the fourth inning of that game, do you need the? Uh, say Blake Stein. Blake Stein didn't Bang. even need the, multiple, need the choice. multiple choice. <laughs> four for four. We knew he was good in trivia. All right, what team did you hit your first RBI off of? Uh, it was a sacrifice fly on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. Wow. Okay, was it the Braves, Mets, Marlins, or Dodgers? Braves. Five for five, five Tom. He's five. on a roll here. He's going. He's going for the Brad Lidge perfect season. It, it was here. off of Will Ledesma, who was a former teammate in Toledo. Oh, there you go. Um, all right. In 2008, which one of these relievers did not have at least one save? Um, two of these guys had one save during the season. One guy had two. One had zero. Who had the zero? Ryan Madsen, Clay Condry, Tom Gordon, Scott Ayer. Somebody had zero. No, Flash had two saves that year. So, all who right. Had none? That's still. But now we're going to end yeah, who on. Who had none? Was it uh, Air? Zero was Scott Air, yep. Yeah. Uh, Clay and uh, Ryan both had one save. All right, the last question is, now, uh, I told, uh, Tom, I told you that uh, I used to give Chad the um, Final Jeopardy question. Yes. So, I asked him this. And he said, go to Bradledge and see if he can get it. And Bradledge got it right away. So you probably don't remember the question, Chad, but I'm going to give it to you. The question I, went, I asked you was, I said, um, a statue of this man can be found inside the Vatican walls near where he was locked up in 1633. Who is this man? So A is Martin Luther. B is Galileo Galilei. C is Isaac Newton. And D is Oliver Cromwell. So was it Martin Luther, Galileo, Isaac Newton, or Oliver Cromwell? I think it was Galileo. Galileo is correct. And the funny when I went up to Brad Lidge, he said, we didn't even bat an eye, he said, uh, Galileo Galilee. Right? <laughs> and I, I didn't give him the there's no trivia. There's no, you know, A, B, C, and D. Yeah, yeah. He just said he just knew it. But he not only knew it, but he said the last name as well. So wow. yeah, there you have it. So Chad, that's a very Great. impressive seven for eight. I'm, you know what? I probably knew better on Flash. Um, dang it. I, 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 eight for eight would have been a lot of fun. So, <laughs> anyway, we'll live with it. We'll live with it. <laughs> Chad, you did good. And uh, it was great join, uh, you know, for you to join us. Yeah, thanks for jumping on the podcast. Great catching up with you. And we need you to come up to Philadelphia at some point. Uh, come up early in the season. Bring the family. Absolutely. I'll come up there. Um, I, I should be. I have several things going up there. 
um, outside of, uh, of the Phillies world. Um, so I should, uh, probably right after the Christmas holiday come up that way. So if I come up that way, I'll definitely get in touch. Sounds awesome. great. Well, I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you guys. All appreciate right. It. Thanks. You, Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, that was great. One of my all time favorites. Just, well, I was uh, just thinking too, we've, uh, interviewed a handful of guys from that bullpen now, right? Cause we had Scott air. Yep. Uh, who else? Have, we haven't had Matt's and all. We should get Matt's. We should on. get Ryan Matt, yeah, but there's yeah. so many, you mentioned Pat Pearl. We haven't had Pat Pearl. I'd oh, love to get true. Chooch at some point. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, but Chad was always one of those yeah. super personable guys that you go down there and you could talk to him about anything, just like Brad Lidge. Yep. So, um, pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, so, also, Tom, just want to let you know I was in Indianapolis for the first time. My daughter had a swim meet. Uh, yeah, so that I saw was a lot it of on fun. Facebook. How, how'd that go? It went great. It was uh, a lot of fun. It was, the, it was at IUPUI, which I didn't know they had a college basketball team that went to the uh, tournament uh, huh? a couple of years ago. But it's, the, uh, it's downtown Indianapolis, but I guess it's, it's a uh, part of the campus of Indiana, uh, Indiana University and also Purdue University. Oh, okay. So that was uh, my How'd first— How'd she do? Uh, she did well. So it's the first uh, experience down at, uh, in, in Indianapolis. And also, knowing that you're a music fan, yep. uh, is that I watched uh, in its entirety the three episodes of oh. The Beatles— Get back. That's my homework, John. I will have it done. Next, our next podcast, I'll give you my review. Well, let you me just, loved it. I let me that. just tell you, if you're a music fan, yes. it's almost like the C-SPAN for music fans. Right, like right. C-SPAN could be very boring to people that don't like politics. Yeah, yeah. But if you like politics, it's, it's riveting because you're watching you know, live. And same thing with, with this. Uh, Peter Jackson was the director, and they found all this archival footage from yeah. the Beatles. And you're watching you know, ar- arguably the world's greatest band in real time, Paul McCartney, you're watching, the camera was on him. So sometimes it's very boring. You're just watching, not boring, but you're watching the interaction of the guys and they're trying to make this album, which ended up being Let It Be and then parts of Abbey Road. Uh, but you're watching songs that are literally yeah. like Paul McCartney strumming around on the guitar and you're, 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 in the, you're watching going, yeah. the, the next, the, you, you should know say, the next Tucson, line. Arizona, right? right? <laughs> exactly. You know, and then he gets to it and then you're sitting there going, wow, you're watching. It's yeah. almost like watching, you know, we'll get it, Albert yeah. Einstein <laughs> developing da Vinci, in real time uh, his theory. The yes. Mona Lisa or something. Right. Right. It's, right. I mean, it was really incredible. So it's not for everybody, yeah, but yeah. if you're a music fan or a, certainly a Beatles fan, uh, it's absolutely riveting. Yeah, just the process, right? Yeah. You know, how it all comes together. Yeah, I'm, yep. I'm all over it. Believe me, uh, it's going to happen in the next couple of days, actually. I got to get Disney Plus, as a matter of fact. Right. I got to, that's the first step, and then it'll be, it'll, it'll be it. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, we're looking forward to our next guest. We don't know who our next guest is. Well, we know who our next guest is, but we, we don't like to tease it. No, we don't. We, we don't do. know who the we next guest know is. Who the next guest is going to be. It'll be a surprise for you folks out there in uh, Radio Land. Maybe Pat Pearl. Land. Maybe we should get Pat Pearl yeah, on. What good. do you think? That'd be good. All we right, let's work on Pat. Pat the Bat. All, All right. right. That sounds good. Folks, thanks for uh, tuning in. Another fun episode, right, John? I loved it. All right. We'll see you next time on Phillies Backstage. Backstage with the going